Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Just thank you for the privilege of being able to be here, to worship your name together, to lift up your word together. I pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit and open our hearts up to your word, even as we open your word up to us. We pray that you be glorified in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name, and for your glory, amen. It's interesting. I, we live in a, in a world, eh, we talked about this a little bit last week, but we live in a world that's got so much offense and outrage and hurricanes and earthquakes and, uh, and, and impending government shutdowns. Just every day there's something that you can look at where you say, this is just so yucky. And just the other day somebody was talking to me and, and said, you know, it's just hard to find anything to be thankful for some days. And I do get that. Of course, any good logic prof will say that there are some things that are mutually exclusive. It's going to be one thing or another. There either is a God who is good and who loves you and is looking out for your benefit, or there is not a God out there who is good and loving and looking out for you for your benefit, right? You can't, can't have both. One of those is true or the other one is true. But in both of those, technically, you would have things every day that you should be thankful for, wouldn't you? Because if there's a God that's good and loves you and is taking care of you for your benefit, then that means everything going on in your daily basis is a direct or indirect ripple effect of that. That everything that's going on, a God who loves you and superintends things and is actively looking out for your benefit is there for you in the midst of it. Maybe even bring this about for your benefit or for the benefit of, of your brothers and sisters, the benefit of the species. But there's a God who loves you in everything that you're going through. So no matter what you're going through, you could be thankful, couldn't you? Shouldn't we? Or there is not a God who's out there looking over you and watching over you. There's no one there to love you. You're alone in a world made of teeth and claws and blood. Jungles, deserts, oceans are not predisposed to keep you alive. Nothing in this planet, other than perhaps one another, and your dog, are predisposed to try to keep you alive. And no, not your cat. He'll eat you. <laughs> if today you are not surviving because you are actively killing and eating or actively avoiding being killed and eaten, well, then you should be thankful, shouldn't you? There's nothing predisposed in this world to keep you alive, and yet you're still alive, and you're not struggling out in the jungles trying to stay alive. I don't know who you would be thankful for. I don't know who you'd be thankful to, but you should live in thankfulness, shouldn't you? My point is this. No matter what your cosmology is, the fact that you're sitting here alive in air conditioning, well-fed, you should be thankful. That should be the natural thing for us to be, is to look around and go, I ain't dead. Yay! And yet, it is not our natural state of being. Why? If It should just be logical that we should say, wow, I'm actually doing well today. I have one leg. I know I lost one, but I had a spare. I can still hobble. Yay! Probably because we are 
imaginative, creative, and generally self-absorbed little critters. And we can imagine what the world be, would be like if only. If only. And I would argue that if only, those two little words rob you of thankfulness on a daily basis. If only I could have a little bit more money. Which means that since I don't yet, I'm not quite happy with what I've got. I can't be contented with what I've got. can't be contented with the I don't have enough money, can I? Because if only I had a little bit more money. If only she would be more like A or B. Then I would be satisfied with her. And until then, I'm unsatisfied with her. If only God would give me X or Y, then I, would, I, I could really thank him for it. But until then, that means that my prayer life will have to be focused on my lack of X or Y. And dear Lord, if I could just have X or Y, if I could just do that, if you really could just get off your case and do this, I would appreciate it. If only I just felt more like, then I could be happy, then I could be joyful, then I could be thankful. If only. And yet, Paul told the church in Philippi, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I don't even have to explain that at all, do I? Is thankfulness situational? Because I've learned to be content in any and all, in any and every situation. So without me even talking about it at all, Paul's like, well, because thankfulness is not situational dependent. I guarantee you, at one point or another, like me, have run on the assumption that thankfulness is, well, you thank God for this situation. Nothing wrong with that, but it is not at its core situational. But I've learned, Paul says, how to live in contentment with thanksgiving, in verse 6, if you take it back, this is from verse 12, but if you take it back six verses, with thanksgiving, because I've gotten everything I want and need. And how do I say that? In verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength, which cannot be the way most people take that. Most people take that as, I can be Superman because God gives me strength. I can do an amazing number of things. I can move mountains because God gave me, I can do everything. You know, no. That's the wrong way of saying it. It can't be what Paul means because he said, even when I'm hungry and don't have any food. Yeah, but in God, he can do anything. So he goes, food, boink, food, yes? Grammatically, that cannot be what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is, I found the secret of contentment and it's this. In everything that I do, I do it in God's strength instead of mine. And that's my contentment. I can accomplish anything? No, no, no. Everything that I do accomplish, I accomplish through God, not me. And that changes my perspective. Because my situation and my thankfulness and my contentedness are not situationally dependent. They're God-dependent. I start and I end with God. And that means that as long as I have God, I have everything I want and need. Right? Jesus says, hey, you, right, you want and you want and you want and you want. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then you'll have everything. You go, oh, cool, then I'll get the Maserati. You'll have everything you want and need. Why? Because you started with God. You started there. 
And I love that Paul is thanking God in verse 6, laying all of his anxiety at God's feet as an act of faith, and God hasn't seemingly done anything yet. Here's my needs. Here's my anxiety. I lay it at your feet with thanksgiving. Because he's done what? Well, nothing yet, seemingly. He's just been God, and that's enough for me to thank him for. Right there, that's enough for me not to be stressed anymore. That's enough for me not to be anxious about. I can be content and find thankfulness, and I can get rid of my anxiety and leave my fears at God's feet and be thankful simply because I trust him. I know him. In Hebrews, we're told by the preacher of the greatest sermon ever written down, right? In Hebrews 13, the preacher says, be content with what you have because why? Why? Paul in Philippians seemed to think it was because he could be helped and strengthened by God consistently, right? I know that God is there with me and I know I can consistently do that in every situation. The preacher, however, says, be content with what you have because God has said back in Deuteronomy 31, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Oh, wait, they're saying the same thing. You can find contentment. You can be thankful. Why? Because your God is there. He's there consistently. And he's your helper. In fact, he even goes on to say, well, what can man do to me? The worst they can do is kill me. Sure, whatever. But even the prospect of death, the preacher says, that doesn't steal my thankfulness away. The impending inevitability of my deadness doesn't rob me of my thankfulness. Only I can do that. I fling it with, but if only I didn't have to die. If only I had hair. Because then I wouldn't have cancer. Oh, y'all with thick heads of hair. You thank God every day, right? Because you didn't get skin cancer in your head like I did because I didn't have hair, right? You thank God every day for that. Or do you never think about that? Stop and think. What is it that you forget to stop and think about? What is it that you forget to thank God about? Because we're being so circumstantial or so situationally dependent. Thankfulness is not situationally dependent. I love that it's dependent on God's character, and that ain't changing, and it's dependent on him being present in our lives, and he ain't going anywhere. And that's the same argument that Isaiah made in Isaiah uh, chapter 41. He said, God said in Isaiah, don't fear, I'm with you. Don't be dismayed, I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. So, Paul says, and the writer of Hebrews says, and Isaiah, they're all saying, you don't have to be afraid. You can live in contentment. You can live in thankfulness because you know that God is with you and he's good and he's not going anywhere. How many times does the Bible have to say something before it's true? And yet, there's this consistent testimony. Our thankfulness is dependent on us reminding ourselves that it's ultimately dependent on God and his goodness. So let's remind ourselves. For the next couple of weeks, I'd like to look at some of the times in Scripture where we're specifically told what we should thank God about. Why should we give thanks? The Bible says, oh, give thanks for this, give thanks for this, give thanks for this. Let's look at some of those over the next couple of weeks. And we'll see over time if there's any patterns or any commonalities to any of that. 
For instance, we're told in Psalm 100 to sing and to shout for joy to the Lord, to worship him with gladness. Psalm 100, verse 3, know that the Lord is God. Actually, that's one of those capital L, capital O, capital R, capital B things. And since the name itself is important in this psalm, I'm going to give it the name here. The psalmist has written, know that Yahweh is God. I want to make it clear that we know who our God is. It's he who made us. We are his. Who's? This God. He is God. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture, and the sheep know their shepherd. So enter into his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Praise his name. Why? Because Yahweh is good and his love endures forever. Give thanks for that. You know his name. You know his character. He's good. He's loving. He's consistent in all that. Should we give thanks to the Lord because he is good and because his love endures forever? Should we? Is there ever a time when God is not good? Is there ever a time when his love fails? If we're supposed to give God thanks because he's good, and his love endures forever. And there's never a time when he's not good. There's never a time when he's not loving us. When should we not be thankful? I don't say that to be guilty. I'm not, don't feel guilty. I don't want you to feel guilty. I want you to go, duh, duh, duh. you're right. It's not situation dependent. It's God dependent. He's always this, and this is what I'm thanking him for. I think back to what we read last week in Matthew when Jesus said, I don't want you to worry, Matthew 6:31. Don't worry. Don't get lost in stressing over yesterday. Don't get lost in stressing over tomorrow. Don't get lost in your circumstances at all. Don't worry, but, verse 33, seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness. Start with that. We tend to seek situational changes to unstress, changes in our circumstances, and that's what we will be, circ- that we'll be thankful for. If God could just change this. And Jesus says, okay, well, You can pray for your daily bread. That's great. But start with focusing not on what circumstantial stuff you want God to change, but on his character and on his righteousness. Isn't that the way the Lord's Prayer began? Before he ever got to your daily bread, doesn't it start with, thank you for being dad? Thank you for being holy. Help us to be your kingdom. Help us to honor you first. Isn't that how we prioritize how we should look at the parts where we say, and could you please situationally change these circumstances? Because once you do have God and his character that doesn't change and his presence in your life that doesn't change, once you see him as your dad who is creator and king, and then go, and if it's possible, maybe some bread. Did you just ask the God of the universe who said, I love you as a dad who will never stop loving you if maybe you could maybe have a maybe crust of bread, maybe? Doesn't that change your perspective on the prayer? Lord, I know the cattle on a thousand hills are yours. I know the gold is yours. I know everything is yours. Please help me to have what I need today. And if I don't get what I want, help me to realize that there may be times where that is what I need. By the way, I'm doing a parenting seminar in a couple of weeks. For those of you going, well, how would that look? You ever tell your children, well, what you want may may not be what you need. In fact, you not getting what you want may be what you need. 
Okay, never mind. Anyway, seek first his kingdom, Jesus says. Therefore, he says in verse 34, don't worry. I'm going to say that again. Don't worry, because God's got this, so don't worry. You know, I know, but if only I could... Stop it! Don't do that. Don't rob yourself of this. Righteous God who loves you, who's on top of all this, fulfilling his will, and his will is better than yours. Trust him. I think of David's psalm where he sings in Psalm 34, taste and see that Yahweh is good, blessed, joyful, is the person who takes refuge in him. Not just in him doing the stuff you want him to do, but in relationship with him. Find joy in him because he's good. He's good. Trust that. So 1 Chronicles 16 that we read earlier. Give thanks to the Lord, David sang. Why? For he is good and his love endures forever. Thank God for his character and that ain't changing. Thank God that he loves you and that ain't changing. Thank God that he always loves you and that's, he's not going anywhere. How many times does the Bible have to say it? Does it work that way? It worked that way for the writer of Hebrews. It worked that way for Jesus. It worked that way for Paul. Can it work like that for you? Can it work like that for me? To sit there and say, well, wait a minute. If, his, if my thankfulness is based on gratitude in his character and the character doesn't change, I should live in that. I should not maybe leap to ingratitude or leap to bitterness about this person or leap to... The, I should live in this idea of, well, thank you, Lord, and let's, let's step out in righteousness. If I, if I step up to change something, it's not because I'm, I'm angry and ingra- I lack of gratitude and, I, and I, I, I look at the world and I'm like, it's broken, I have to fix it. Or do we go, because it's the right thing to do. I stand against injustice. Why? Because you need to fix the world. No, I stand against injustice. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Of course I'm going to do that. It's the fundamental difference between the person raising their fist in anger and the person raising their hands in praise and both of them saying, this world needs to change. But I love that there, there's a clear message in Scripture that we can walk in this and live in this, but that you have to get past this moment. You have to get past yourself. You have to get past you. And that will always be the biggest, ugliest hurdle in your life. Your hugest opponent, outside of Satan, who's like, nope, that's pretty much what I do, is you. You will be the one most thwarting your ability to live in this. Because you'll always be like, yeah, but if only, yeah, but I would like, yeah, but... I'm struggling with this. But part of reminding ourselves that we're sojourners, that we're just passing through this place, that we're only here for a blip, that it's a speed bump in eternity, is to remind ourselves that it isn't just this second. Righteousness is eternal, and that's why I should live for righteousness. That's why I should step out for righteousness, even in this moment, because righteousness is eternal. If I change a system, because changing the system is the point, I'm sorry, the wisest man who ever lived in Ecclesiastes said, that'll only go so far. It'll change for till the next president comes in. It'll change for a hundred years. At which point it'll fall. I don't want to just change the system. I don't want to just change this program. 
I want to live for righteousness and say, let's call ourselves to something that is bigger than just this moment. I love the context of this, that when David shares this psalm in 1 Chronicles, because it is a psalm, even though it's not in the book of Psalms, but in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 1, they brought the Ark of the Covenant, this Ark of God, and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. And after David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And again, this name is going to come up as a name. So he blessed them in the name of Yahweh. And he gave a loaf of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each Israelite man and woman. That's a lot of baking. This is an expense. This is a huge undertaking. It's not even just in one household. You go, no, everybody is getting bread and, and donuts. Everybody's getting a piece of cake. This is a love feast for God, and I don't want anybody left out. And that day in verse 7, we're told that David first committed to Asaph, and if there's any other psalmist whose name is vaguely familiar, if you can remember anybody other than David, well, there's David and uh, who else wrote Psalm? It would be Asaph. So David commits to Asaph and his associates this psalm of thanks to Yahweh. Give thanks to Yahweh. Call on his name, David sings. Make known amongst the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek Yahweh rejoice. I don't care what you're going through today. I don't care what's going on. Thankfulness is not situationally dependent. It's dependent on the character of our God, and this is our God. Not that God, not that God. This is our God. So I want you guys to look to Yahweh, look to his strength, seek his face. Which is exactly what Paul said, right? Which is exactly what Jesus said, exactly what Isaiah said, exactly what the writer of Hebrews said. You want to get through this? Seek his strength. Seek his face. Seek his righteousness. Start there. How many times does the Bible have to say something before it's true? I know, I keep asking that. It's because I'm redundant and getting paid by the word. (laughs) Remember the wonders he has done, David sings. His miracles, the judgments he's pronounced. O descendants of Israel, his servant. O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. Let Let me say this as we're dancing around the Ark of the Covenant. That, that, that Moses carried in the wilderness. This thing. Do you remember what God has done to get us to this point? Do you? He is Yahweh, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham. The oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree to Israel, as an everlasting covenant. When David says his love endures forever, there's a tangibility to that, isn't it? It's not just a yeah, yeah. It's like, no. He loved us a thousand years ago, and he'll love us 30,000 years from now. It doesn't change. Think of his positive, active, tangible work to meet the needs of his beloved. He loves us, and he is consciously committed to us forever. So sing to Yahweh, he says in verse 23. All the earth, everybody, not just the people of Israel, but everybody, proclaim his salvation day after day. Which day? Every good day. 
every Sabbath day, every Sunday morning between the hours of 10.30 and 12. Every day. Everybody, every day. Just praise God because he doesn't change. Declare his glory that doesn't change among the nations, his marvelous deeds that have been forever among all the people. Why? Because Yahweh is great. And he's most worthy of praise. That's why. Because who he is. He's to be feared above all gods because all the gods of the nations are idols. They're all just bits of wood and stone and metal wrought by human hands into forms, into substantial, circumstantial forms that we can connect with. We go, this, this is our God because we can see him and taste him and touch him and that's our God. David says, that's not right. You might be able to relate to that God in a temporal way as we all crawl on this earth, but that's not a God. That's a stick that you've whittled. It's a rock that you put up and went, look, it's God. It's a rock that you chipped at until it was beautiful and said, look, it's God. Stuff you threw into the fire and it just came out as God. All the gods of the nations are idols, but Yahweh made the heavens. You took a bit of dirt and made a god. God sculpted the heavens and the earth. Splendor and majesty are spread out before him like a rug. All the stuff that we are so impressed by, room decor in heaven. Let the earth be glad. Let the heavens rejoice. Every day. Day after day, on good days when things run well, on every day when things are hard, God is sovereign and he is good and his love endures forever. Let the earth be glad, he says. Let them say among the nations, Yahweh, Yahweh reigns. And that, in and of itself, is enough to be thankful for. Our God is God, the only God who is. And he says, I love you. Our God is God, the only one who is. He says, I'll never stop loving you. Our God is God, the only one who is, and he's never petulant. Not like Zeus. He's always there and always good and always loving. And he's sovereign. He is dad. And he is the God of all creation. And that's enough. Dainu. Wouldn't that be enough? To know that the dad who loves you and is all-powerful says, I will always love you. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that's in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing and they'll sing for joy before Yahweh for he comes to judge the earth and that's enough to be thankful for. It's enough for the earth and the sea and the fields and the forest to be glad. I think it's enough for us to be glad. I want you to be as brilliant as a tree. Give thanks to Yahweh. Who? Who is David saying? Give thanks to Yahweh. Who? Everybody there in his presence who's munching on a date cake. Roar, totally. Right? Everybody in Israel, even the ones who aren't there. Every person on the planet? Has he already said that? The planet itself. The trees. Just give thanks to God. Give thanks to Yahweh. To who? To the only God who is God. Give thanks to God. For he is good and his love endures forever. 
and everyone sang together and gave thanks together and ate their raisin cakes together and, and waved party balloons and really, really meant it because it's a party and it's awesome. What about when it's not a party? I love that years later, Second Chronicles 20, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Mayonites came to make war on King Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea, and it's already in Hatzatan Tamar, that's En Gedi. Alarmed, the word there is literally frightened, terrified, afraid, Jehoshaphat resolved to what? You've just been told a massive army of neighboring enemies is in the process of invading. You're a good king. You're a smart king. What do you do? Pardon me? You absolutely prepare. You'd be dumb not to, wouldn't you? So the first thing you do when you know an enemy army is invading, what do you do? Do not answer this question. Is that the first thing that you do? It's the first thing we should do. Is it the first thing you do when you feel like somebody is invading your territory? You go, well, before I respond, let me pray. Sure, great, awesome. First thing he does, this frightened king, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of Yahweh, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah, before gathering any troops, before reinforcing any walls, before sharpening any swords, any of the circumstantial stuff like that, Jehoshaphat sought God. He bowed with his face to the ground in verse 18, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before Yahweh. They did what Jesus said to do. They did what Isaiah said to do. They did what the preacher says to do. They did what Paul says to do. They did what Jehoshaphat's great-great-great-grandfather David said to do, seek Yahweh. When? All the time. But when you need something, seek him. Start there. And ask for support? Seek him. Seek him. Worship him. I love it. We're told here when the time came for them to march out to war. Verse 21. Jehoshaphat anointed men to sing to Yahweh and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. With that time-honored classic military strategy of sending first not your, not your infantry, not your cavalry, but your worship music team. Yes? You want to win the battle? Send the worship music team. They go ahead of everybody. By the way, yes, it is. It's a time-honored classic military tradition in the Old Testament. They did that multiple times, didn't they? Today we don't because we're more sophisticated. And we understand that that's foolish. You don't start with God, you start with guns. You start with tactics. You start with all the circumstantial things that will make sure that you'll win the battle. Yes? Because we're more sophisticated. Or should we start with God? He appointed men to sing to Yahweh, to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Dear Lord, give us victory against our enemies. That's what he had them sing, yes? What did they have him sing? Praises and saying, Give thanks to Yahweh for his love endures forever. Before God did a thing, seemingly. 
We're marching in the battle saying, thank you that your love endures forever. Before he did anything. Because thankfulness is not situation dependent. It's character dependent. Should we, like the earth and the sea and the fields and the forests and the other people of God, should we give thanks to God maybe merely because he's good and because his love endures forever? Should we? Or are they simple? Even in the midst of doing that, they did give thanks for specific things that God had done, but it's, it's, it's usually in this context of saying because that's a reminder of what we're actually giving thanks for. We give thanks for these things, but to remind us that his love endures forever, right? It's a reminder of that. It's indicators of God's faithfulness. So I want to do today what the Bible asks us to do. I want us to do that together as a church family. I want us to thank God and to praise him because he's good and his love endures forever. That's what I'd like us to do. So we're going to do a responsive reading. Um, For those of you that uh, emotively dislike liturgical worship things like responsive readings, if you go, oh, I just hate being a... I hate being a drone and having to be, I want to I want to feel it. I don't want to just do this with everybody else. You can ignore this. Don't take part. Cross your arms and refuse to thank God with the rest of the people. Just sit there like a tree. Oh wait. Even the trees. Oh, anyway. For those of you by the way who say, "Yeah, Liturgy rocks. I hate that simplistic worship choruses kind of stuff where you just keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. You're going to hate this because I want you to say the same thing over and 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 over again. And you're going to say, oh, it's not musically complex and it's not theologically complex. And I'm going to say the same thing over and over again and it's repetitive. You do not have to join us. Please sit there, cross your arms, grumpily refuse to thank God along with us. In both of those sets, your thankfulness has every right to be situationally dependent on the mode of our thankfulness, correct? For the three of you left, (laughs) maybe we remind ourselves it's not about us. And there's a reason why the psalmist is saying, I want this to be ground into your head and I want you to think about it every time we say it. So, I'd like to say this with us together. I will say the first chunk of each couplet And then we all say the second chunk together, okay? Okay. So, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, I, I stop for a second. Did you actually say that? Did you actually thank God that he struck down the firstborn children of Egypt? Did you? 
Did you say that and mean that and think that? Or did you say it because somebody next to you was saying the words at the same time and you just said it? Or did you stop and say, you, you killed the firstborn of everyone in Egypt, not because they did anything wrong, but because they weren't protected by your blood. Praise God for your love. You, you said that thoughtfully, correct? You're fine with that. Let's praise God that in somebody's name, I will say this, somebody about a year ago, a colleague of mine said, I will never thank God for murdering children. I'm asking you, let's thank God for that, shall we? I don't believe God murdered children. I believe he killed them. Can we thank God? Think about what you're saying here when we say this. Because it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not a matter of just thanking him for all the hugs and all the cookies. It's saying, wait a minute, I trust you. I thank you that you love our species enough to allow pain, to even bring death. If you know in your wisdom, as my Lord, that it will galvanize and concretize relationship and salvation, I thank you for the pain and death you bring to life. Because you know when that is instructive and constructive and will draw people to relationship with you. This could be really mindless. I'm asking it to be very mindful. Can you thank God for pain, suffering, and death because you trust that even in that he is good and his love endures forever? If not, please fold your arms and refuse to say anything for the rest of this. And the two of us will continue. To him who struck down even the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. Because that's love too, right? Are we thanking him that he killed our enemies? Yay. He loved us and saved us, and he didn't love them and killed them. Yay, Gus, and yay, God. You, you're thanking him for that? Or is it that you say, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure he loved the Egyptians. And yet, to protect his people, to draw us to himself, to, to build that relationship, that unfailing love says, the only way I can do that is to protect these people from those people. And I love the, all of you enough to do this hard thing. To him who led people, his people through the desert. Because it was loving of him, Right? Why were they in the desert for a generation? Because it's a big, thick, long, big old desert and it took them a while to get through it. Or did God send them into the desert for 40 years to kill off an entire generation of people? Your mothers and your fathers all have to die. His love endures forever. Amen?
Praise God, he is good and his love endures forever. He killed your father and he killed your mother because they couldn't get into the system. He said, no, it is so important that we do this correctly that I'm not even letting Moses come in because I don't want to taint the system that I'm trying to explain with you guys. You have to understand And if there's an entire generation of people that would rather build a golden calf and say, but this I can touch, this I can see. If there's an entire generation of people that say, I'm going to smack the rock because I know God told me to speak to it, but it worked the last time and it's a magic stick. I want people that say, I know Yahweh and he is good and his love endures forever. And I'm willing, if I'm willing to kill the firstborn of Egypt and if I'm willing to allow this army to drown in the Red Sea. I'm willing to let a generation pass. I'm willing to make a generation pass because I need this to sink in how important this is. I love you. And sometimes what I do is going to make you bawl your eyes out. But as a dad, I love you enough to do that. He is good and his love endures forever. I know I'm ruining the psalm, I'm sorry. But I seem to remember several times in Scripture being told that if God loves us, he'll discipline us. And when he disciplines us, it shows us that he loves us. He loves us, luckily, with more than just affection. He loves us with commitment. He loves us... I remember one of the very first things I ever did as a dad was hold my daughter's hand while they gave her a spinal tap only a few days after she was born. And she's sitting there screaming and crying, and I held her hand. If I just loved her with her affection, I would have never let them do a spinal tap. Let her die rather than let her cry. Right? Or if I loved her only with affection, I couldn't go through a hard thing, and I'd have to leave the room, and she'd be alone on that table. But if I, as a broken, messed up dad, love her enough to go, this hurts and it hurts and you're scared and I get it and I am not leaving your side. I love you and because I love you, I am putting you on this table and telling them to do a spinal tap. If I'm decent enough to do that, I'm pretty sure God's a lot better than me. He loves us to give us what we need, not necessarily what we want, but what we need as a species. And he will never fail to love us like that, whether you want him to or not. So we can thank God, who struck down great kings, who killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan. He gave their land as an inheritance. And we can thank him not because he's so bloodthirsty and because of those circumstances where he killed those kings. Because I'm pretty sure he loved the Egyptians. And I'm pretty sure he loved the Amorites. I'm pretty sure he loved them. But he brought about their destruction to protect those who loved him. To nurture his family because he is good and his love endures forever. He gave their land as an inheritance. An inheritance to his servant Israel. To the one who remembered us in our lowest state. And freed us from our enemies. And who gives food to every creature. 
And remember, they're saying this as they're standing around the Ark of the Covenant. They're remembering this. This is true for them then, and it's true for us today. If it's true for them standing at the foot of the Ark, is it true for us standing at the foot of the cross? He loves us, and He gives us what we need, and He sustains us, and He gives us the bread that we need to get through today. He gives food to every creature. And He remembered us in our low estate. He freed us from our own enemy of sin. He continues to feed us, though we don't deserve any of it. Because He's good and His love endures forever. And He does it when we don't even ask Him to. Because He's good and His love endures forever. He does it in ways that we say, well, I wouldn't do it that way. Because He's good and His love endures forever. So no matter how He does it, He's good and His love endures forever. And if I remember correctly, we should give thanks to the God of heaven because His love endures forever. Amen? hard if you're doing it right it's hard if i'm doing it right i'll i never want to do a a responsive reading where you're not thinking about what you're saying but it's important for us to do this together as a church family to remind us together that in all these things our response is the same the same thankfulness the same trust the same love it's hard but he is good I pray that you have an excellent day today and that you can give thanks to the Lord because he's so good and his love endures forever. That's my prayer. If you have a really hard day today, I pray that you give thanks to God because he is good and his love endures forever. And if you are feeling really down, I pray that you give thanks to God because he's good and his love endures forever. And if you're bouncing off the walls because something really awesome happened, great, give thanks to God because he is good and his love endures forever. And if you don't understand exactly why he would do what he's doing in your life, okay, give thanks to God because he's good and his love endures forever, and you can trust in that. But in everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, lay your anxieties at his feet and say, thank you. Pray with me. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that you are so much bigger than we are, and you understand this at such a deeper level than we do. And I thank you that you you tinge joy with sorrow, you flavor sorrow with joy, and in all this you remind us that our response is the same because our God is the same, the only God who is God. And you are God every day, all day. Thank you for who you are, not just what you've done, but who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.